Good morning and welcome. We are grateful for your presence. We're thankful that you have chosen to be here today. We're always glad for the opportunity that we have to be together as God's people. If you are visiting, as always, we invite you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. We have numerous visitors come our way from week to week, and we are very grateful for that. It may be that you're looking for a church home. and We always invite you, we always invite all of our visitors to consider the work here, to think very seriously about coming and joining hands with us as we strive to do everything that we can to make known New Testament Christianity in this community. I do want to express appreciation for the kind words that Brother Dio said just a moment ago. It's hard to believe that it has been five years. On behalf of Nancy, I do want to express appreciation to each of you for your encouragement, support, and love. I appreciate very much the church here and the eldership and for all that has been done for us and I can't express to you in words how much I appreciate each of you, but I really believe that the church here, it's a great church, and we have a lot of great people that make up this congregation. And when I initially talked to the elders about the work here, as Brother Dio mentioned, I really didn't know much about it. Even though I lived in this community, I didn't know much about the church here. But I did say, I believe the church is sitting on a gold mine. I believe that then, I believe it now. And I believe that there are so many great things that we can do in this community, that we can exalt the name of Christ and bring glory to God through our work together. And it is a team effort. And all of us have to work together to do what we can to make known the Lord Jesus Christ in this community. I want to invite you to turn with me to Psalm 19. In the 19th Psalm, we have what has been described as two books. The first has been called the world book. The second, the word book. If someone were to ask you, do you believe in God? I would imagine that all of us would respond in the affirmative. Yes, we believe in God. If someone were to ask you, can you prove there is a God? How would you respond? What would you say to those who are skeptical about the existence of God? We live in a day and time when many people question whether or not God exists. I believe that God is and that God does indeed exist. There are two ways that I believe that we can emphasize or stress to those in the world around us that there is a God. The first would be through creation. The second would be revelation. And so there you have what has been called the world book and the word book. 
I want to begin by talking about our overall theme, making the case for the existence of God. How can we make a case? When attorneys go to court, they go to the courtroom to make their case, to state the facts, to present evidence, and thus to strive to ultimately win the case. First of all, let me submit unto you that we can make the case for God in creation. One of the strongest evidences that we have for the existence of God is creation. God has not left himself without witness. The fingerprint of Almighty God is stamped all over the universe in which we live. Now we might turn a deaf ear, we might turn a blind eye to the evidence that is all about us. The fact of the matter is, creation is one evidence that there is a God. Let me begin by talking about the nonverbal message of the heavens. Note, if you would, what David said centuries ago, beginning in verse 1 of Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament, or expanse, shows his handiwork. Day unto day utter speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of heaven, and its circuit to the other end. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. As we think about the nonverbal message of the heavens. Let me first of all call attention to the announcement of the Creator. The psalmist said, The heavens declare the glory of God. It is if, it is as if God in heaven is saying to the universe, I'm here. When you and I look around and we begin to take into consideration the universe, the solar system, and everything about us. It suggests God is here. I think about talking to people, and sometimes you and I engage in conversation with individuals and we're trying to make a point or stress a point. And it may be the case that there is difficulty in stating that case. For whatever reason, the point we're trying to make does not register. And so we'll pause and say, do I need to draw you a picture? 
In a sense, God has drawn us a picture through creation. And God is saying, I'm here, just look around. If you can't tell I exist, then you have indeed closed your ears and eyes to the truth of God. The psalmist would say in Psalm 33, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. God is the one that made the universe. There was a man that lived in the 1200s by the name of Thomas Aquinas. And he was a scholarly man in many respects. And he made some arguments for the existence of God based on what we would call design. In other words, we can look at the universe and we can see, as the psalmist would say, the handiwork of God. The suit I'm wearing suggests that somebody had the foresight to design it, to create a pattern, and thus to make it. The universe in which we live suggests the same, that there was an architect, somebody who designed it. And then it suggests that somebody made it. The two arguments that Thomas Aquinas made, the first, the cosmological argument. And really that argument, the premise of that argument is that nothing comes from nothing. Hence, everything must have an antecedent cause. The Hebrew writer talks about in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3, by faith we understand that the worlds were made or framed by the word of God so that the things which we see were not made of that which is visible. In other words, God made something from nothing. And then there is a second argument, the teleological argument, and that in and of itself suggests design. And all Aquinas asserted, or basically the thrust of his assertion, design demands a designer. And so when we look around the world and we think about this marvelous solar universe in which we live, solar system, what does it say? God exists, that God was the architect and that there was an agent by which the world came into being. So the wisdom of God no doubt reflected in creation. Who but God could have created something as beautiful and as intricate as our universe, bearing in mind that our universe is held together by certain laws. Who is it that upholds those laws? Well, the Bible says that the Lord upholds all things by the word of his power. In Hebrews chapter one at verse three. But then we talk about the work of God in creation the activities of the creator. And there are two things that I would suggest based on what is said in Psalm 19. 
The psalmist said, the heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament or the expanse shows his handiwork. The world says God exists. Mankind made in the image and the likeness of Almighty God, according to Genesis chapter 1, 26 and 27. We too are the handiwork of God. If anything, we are the crown of God's creation. We did not evolve, nor did our world evolve, but rather we are the products of an all-wise and omnipotent God. Paul would say in Romans chapter 11, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past tracing, tracing out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has first given to him? And it shall be recompensed unto him. God is all wise and God is all powerful. And he created this universe. Two things regarding the activities of the creator. First of all, there is communication round the clock through creation. Listen, if you would, to what the psalmist said in verse 2. Day unto day utter speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. When we step out during the day, we see the sun in all of its glory. And we think about the beauty of this earth, and what does it suggest? That God exists. Day in, day out, month in, month out, year in, year out, it suggests that there is an almighty God. We talk about the change of seasons, the rising of the sun, the setting of the sun, the rain, the mist, the dew, etc. All of that suggests that God is. Look around, God exists. And then there is a second thing. There is communication without respect through creation. Listen now to verse 3. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, their words to the end of the world. The bottom line is there is no place on planet earth that does not have the ability to see, to hear the work of Almighty God. Whatever language, whatever race, whatever background people may come from, the bottom line is everyone has opportunity to see the handiwork of Almighty God. We can see it. We can hear it. We live in a universe that was created by Almighty God. When we talk about this vast universe in which we live and the idea that many today are espousing that we are the products of chance or some cataclysmic explosion or maybe evolution and that is being taught as fact by many people. Well, the Bible says every house is built by some man. But he that built all things is God. It takes more faith to believe in the theory of evolution or some of the other theories that have been spun by philosophers and scholars down through time than it does to believe in the creation account. 
In Genesis chapter 1 at verse 1, Moses said, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Not only did God create the heavens and the earth, God said, Let us make man in our image and in our likeness. We are a demonstration of the handiwork of Almighty God. The psalmist would say in Psalm 139 that we have been fearfully and wonderfully made. When you think about the complexities of the human body, you tell me, a product of chance? The product of evolution? Absolutely not. This body is evidence that there is an almighty God. Now there's a second thing I want to call attention to in Psalm 19. We could literally spend one whole study just looking at verses one through six. But for the purposes of our lesson today, we want to just very briefly look at the two cases for the existence of God. The first case is that of creation. The second case is that of revelation. The first has to do with the world book. The second has to do with the word book. So, when we talk about the world in which we live, and when we consider the visible message from the heavens, I think about the heavens declaring the glory of God. But then there is this verbal message from heaven. That's revelation. Having said that, listen to what the psalmist said in verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect. When you look at Psalm 19, there are several terms that are used synonymously to represent the truth of God, the revelation of God, the Bible, if you please. In light of that, what we need to understand and appreciate is that this book is testimony for the existence of God. Think for just a moment about this book that we call the Bible. In the Old Testament, it is comprised of 39 books. In the New Testament, we have 27 books. 66 in all, three dispensations spoken of, beginning with the period of the patriarchs, running through the Mosaic dispensation, and culminating with the Christian system. Today we live under the law of Christ. Everything in the Old Testament was pointing to the coming of Christ. The Bible the 66 books of the Bible are about redemption, salvation. And you can begin in Genesis chapter 1 and end in the book of Revelation. And what you're going to see is that there is a common theme, a common thread running through each and every book. Some more difficult to understand than others. But Peter would say that holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit or born along by the Holy Spirit in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. 
He points out that no prophecy of Scripture was of any private interpretation. In other words, it didn't originate with man, but rather with Almighty God. Paul would say in 2 Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all Scripture, every Scripture, is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. So what about this verbal message from the heavens? Let me just talk for a minute about the psalmist view of the word. And there are three things here very quickly, and this is by no means exhaustive of what is contained in verses 7 through the end of the chapter. First of all, according to the psalmist, the word of God has the ability to convert, to restore. God's word can make us what we ought to be. God's word can reconcile us to our creator. Mankind fell in the Garden of Eden. There was separation. That's why there was a need for the redemptive plan of God as revealed in Genesis 3.15 and going forward. But as we think about the ability of God's word to convert, to restore the soul, let me suggest three things. Number one, the word of God is powerful. Have you ever read or heard a message that carries with it the punch that the Bible does? Paul would say, in Romans 1, verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God and the salvation. Jeremiah, in the long ago, said, Is not my word like a hammer? It breaks in pieces the rock. God's word has the ability to change the lives of people. Look at the myriads of people that have lived on planet Earth. And look at the tremendous influence God's word has, has exerted in the lives of people. Look at people whose lives have been marred and stained and tainted by sin. And yet, what did the word of God do? It changed them for the better. Not only is God's word powerful, but it is penetrating. The Hebrew writer said in chapter 4, verse 12, the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. In order for a sword to be effective, it must be unsheathed. In order for God's word to be effective, to penetrate the hearts and lives of people, it must be unsheathed and employed. That's why Paul talked about in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, that we are to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Why? Because it has the ability to pierce, to penetrate the heart when the Apostle Peter preached the first gospel sermon on Pentecost Day, Luke tells us that those people were pricked or cut to the heart by the message that they heard on that day. And then thirdly, the Word of God has the ability to bring about pardon. Read the, read the book of Acts and look at the numbers of people that had the opportunity to hear the gospel, believe the gospel, and obey the gospel. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, when Paul wrote to the saints in Ephesus, he said, In whom you also believed, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel 
of your salvation. The Bible tells us faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We are instructed to walk by faith and not by sight. God's word can literally bring pardon to the lost. Jesus said in John 8 verse 32, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And then secondly, not only does the word of God convert, but it counsels. In Psalm 19 verse seven, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. God's word gives counsel to those of us who live here on planet Earth. Let me just give you three very quick examples. The home is the bedrock of any nation, of any civilization. Kingdoms come, kingdoms go, kingdoms rise, and kingdoms fall. But ultimately, what makes a nation strong is the home in many respects. Look at how much information is conveyed to us in the Old and New Testaments about the home. Think about the sanctity of marriage. Look at our world today. One of the reasons that our nation is in trouble is because the home is in trouble. Marriage, once, once esteemed by so many, once cherished by many people in our nation. Not so anymore. Jesus said, what God has joined together, let not man put asunder. I think about children. Children all across our nation today that lack guidance, instruction, nurture. Many children are taught many things, but the thing that is lacking in so many children's lives is God's word. Paul said, bring up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord in Ephesians 6 at verse 4. And, the, and then the nation. Solomon said in Proverbs 14 verse 34, righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a reproach unto any people. Sometimes you wonder when nations will ever get that message that righteousness is what God wants to see in people, human beings. And again, it goes back to the home. And then I think about human relations. The Bible teaches us how to deal with one another, how to treat one another. The golden rule as emphasized by Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Look at the heartache and the mayhem that could be corrected in our society if people would only follow that one rule. Those are just basic examples of counsel that comes from the word of God. God's word enlightens. It enlightens individuals, it enlightens homes, it enlightens nations. And then thirdly, it cautions. Look at verse 11. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. All the psalmist is saying is that God's word cautions us. It tells us if we honor God, we'll be blessed. If we dishonor him, if we live in disobedience, we will be cursed. We'll pay. Here's what Paul said, be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Galatians 6, verse 7. 
And then finally, the psalmist value of the word. Look at verse 10. Regarding revelation, the psalmist said it's more to be desired than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter, he said, than honey and the honeycomb. All the psalmist is saying is it's to be cherished. There are a lot of books in our world that have been penned by men and women, some valuable, some not so valuable. But this book ranks head and shoulders above every book. It is the book of all books. It is the greatest book. It is the revelation of Almighty God. And here's, here's the bottom line. God wants you to read, to study, to meditate on his truth, to know it. When the Apostle Paul wrote to the saints in Ephesus, he said that he had received revelation from Almighty God. He said he took that revelation and wrote it down in a few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. God does not want us to be ignorant. As a matter of fact, Paul would say, be not unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. God wants us collectively to read, to study, to meditate on this truth and to honor it, to follow it to realize the treasure that we hold in our hands is a product of heaven. The case for the existence of God, number one, creation. Number two, revelation. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, we want to encourage you to come to Christ, to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, did you know that the Bible tells us that Jesus is everything he claimed to be, the son of the living God? If you believe that and you would be willing to repent of every sin, confess his name before others and be immersed in a watery grave of baptism, the Bible assures you, it assures me, it assures all of humanity that every sin will be forgiven, that our sins can be washed away, Acts 2.38, Acts 22, verse 16. God will then add us to the church, Acts 2, 47, where we will enjoy all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ, Ephesians 1, verse 3, where we have the hope of life eternal. The Bible says, be faithful until death. The promise is the crown of life, Revelation 2, 10. Maybe you're here today, your life is not what it ought to be. Could we encourage you? to make things right with God, to come back to a loving God who wants you to be saved. The Bible says God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Whatever need you may have, we want to serve you today as we stand and sing.